I'm Mo Crum. And I'm Harrison Crum. And we're the Crummy Marathoners. This podcast is for beginners by beginners. If you're thinking about running your first marathon or half marathon or are in the process, this is for you. We realized as we were training that many resources out there expect people to know what they're doing when marathon training. Well, think of this as a marathon training guide for dummies. We'll go through many of the questions we have as we make our way through the beginning of our running journey and what we have learned. If we can inspire others to run a marathon, then we consider this a success. What is up? What is up, everybody? So excited to share this episode. First of all, uh, Henry Ward is an awesome guy. He's a local legend in Arizona, somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long time. In this episode, you're going to learn what a quad is. So wait till the very end. He's going to explain it. Uh, It's going to blow your mind. And the main subject of this episode is really something that's near and dear to me. I have lost a very close loved one due to alcoholism. It is something that I just hate with a passion because it is just so dark and takes so many amazing people from this planet. And I'm always so amazed when I hear stories of people making it out of alcoholism. And I love Henry's story. It's so incredibly sad to hear about how uh, you know bad it got for him and how he hit rock bottom and to hear detail by detail how it got Uh, but I think it's necessary because this is real this happens to people and he's not the first person we've talked to that's had something like this happen and I find it so amazing that people like Henry can you know have an addiction that's so dark but they trade that addiction for a new addiction, which is running. <laughs> and, you know, they, they just turn it into such a positive. And I love that Henry is inspiring others to do the same. He's helping so many people along the way through what he does, which again, you'll hear about through his quads. And um, no, not quad muscles. <laughs> um, but listen, if you have an addiction or something about yourself that you want to change, please let this be a wake-up call. Let this be the moment that you decide to change and do something different. And hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Henry, glad we're finally connecting. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for joining. I've been wanting to talk to you now, I think at least a year or two, and finally glad we're connecting. I, yeah, I think before the one of the Boston Marathon quads or something, I think we connected at first. And here we are. Yeah, I I, th- I think if I'm not mistaken, I saw you had a uh, I can't remember how I connected, but maybe you had a booth somewhere. Did you ever set up like a a booth at a running event at like a tr- trade show or something or before I a marathon? Did at the Mesa Marathon, uh, 2021, I believe. Okay, that might have been it. Um, and then I believe, you know, we, I, I may have just heard, heard of you through connections here in the, in the Valley, the Phoenix Valley. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, and just a couple of interesting facts about you. 
Sure. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Henry, uh, Henry Ward. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I have 15 plus years of sobriety uh, with the grace of God. I don't know why he spared me, but he did. And we're grateful. Um, I grew up in Waltham, Massachusetts. I moved to Arizona in 2004 and then lived out here until 2009, moved back to Massachusetts until 2017. And in 2016, um, I had come out for my first 100 miler. Um, I had started running in 2013 and hit the ground running, escalated up to uh, 100 miles. And the desire to do that came and I signed up for Havilene 100, came out in October of 2016, fell back in love with the desert and started taking the steps and finally made the decision um, seven years ago, February 2017, to move back out here to the Valley of the Sun. And I've been here ever since. So um, I'm a chef by trade. I have a, a beautiful, wonderful wife who's my compass. Uh, I believe God speaks to me through her. Um, she is definitely my better half. I have a son that's going to be 12 years old. So I came out in 2017, looking to get him in the kindergarten, find work and find a place to live and um, got him in the kindergarten. Now he's uh, finishing the third quarter of, of middle school, his first year in middle school. Um, and then I have a dog named Winnie, who's a six-year-old Yorkie and a desert tortoise that goes by the name of Rocket that's living in a hole in my backyard right now. <laughs> how, 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 how many years old is the tortoise? Uh, we are, we are guessing when we adopted her on the 4th of July, we found it to she, um, she was about five years old. So we were calling her five at the time and the 4th of July is considered her birthday. So I guess, uh, she will be, uh, nine years old 4th of July this year. Oh, wow. So not fully grown or, or no, is she? No, but she will live to be about a hundred years old. So we changed our will to give everything to rocket. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, lots to unpack there. Did living in the Boston area have any impact on you wanting to run or how did that go down? Well, early on, I was running away from uh, myself, uh, my problems, the cops, <laughs> uh, you know, before I got sober. Um, and then I found some new friends, like I was hanging around with some of my old friends that really weren't big drinkers or anything like that, but I found some new friends, um, that, um, we'd go out to eat with and stuff, uh, and then speed up to 2000. So that was 2009, 2013. I started really becoming, uh, I call it like a squirrely mess. I had no hobbies. Uh, my son was born and I knew I needed to keep up with him and I started walking distance. So I would walk uh, 10, 12, 13 miles. That's a long way to walk with a, with a stroller, without a stroller, with a dog, without a dog, period. It's a long way to walk. Yeah. And I always had this idea if I could run, I could go further and get there faster. But I tried a few times and I was just like completely winded and, you know, my shins hurt and shin splints, stitches. I was just not really enjoying it. Like running sucks. And then uh, I found out that uh, I found out that my friend we were going to visit in Corning, New York, um, was a runner. He had, he had like a two pack a day smoker almost. He started running. He opened up a gym, and we we're going to visit them. And there was a Glass Fest 8K, and I just simply, you know, we go for the weekend. I asked him if he was going to run. He said, uh, "I will if you do. I will if you do." So I said, "Sign me up. I need I need something in my life, some sort of hobby." something positive. And, um, 
I trained a couple times pushing my son in the stroller and signed up for that race and, and, and did it. Hated every, pretty much every moment of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just going faster in a race, right, than normal. And I was like, oh, my God, this sucks. I want to quit. I really did. I really didn't want to go any further. I'm like, well, I'm about halfway. Might as well keep going, follow these other idiots. I don't know where I'm going anyways. And then I realized that I was going to finish. And, um, you know, like this is kind of the greatest day of my life. I went through all the, the spectrum of emotions. I got like a glass medallion, a banana, like water gummies. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And that's kind of, that was the third time I ever ran. That's kind of how my, my running started. <laughs> and then, um, you know, the following, I went home and I went to my friend's house and asked if I could use his computer. And we looked up, uh, I decided I wanted to look up to see if there's any road races back home. And I found there was a 5K the following weekend. And my wife was like, I asked if, if I could do it. She's like, do you want to go get like a physical first? I checked out by the doctor. You look like you're in pretty rough shape. And um, I said, no, I'll be okay. I have a whole week to, to rest, you know, and, and, and heal up and get ready for that. So I signed up. She's like, if you want to, you can. So I signed up. But I went down the street from my, my parents' house and where the race registration was, where the race started, where the race finished. And... I found some friends from high school. They weren't even friends from high school. There's people from high school that yeah. recognized me and asked me what I was doing. And they said that one of them said that he was, he started running a few years ago. He was in recovery. I'm like, Oh yeah, well, so am I. I really haven't been telling too many people. I haven't even told my sisters, my wife knows, my mother knows, a couple of my close friends, but that's super cool. It's like, yeah, you know, there's other people that quit drinking and found that, that running really helps them. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? I, I'm like that. I've ran a few times and I'm really digging it too. So, um, yeah, I just, as I started training, I started training with him. He, uh, him and his brother got rerouted. They didn't finish the Boston marathon because of the bombing in 2013. They were allowed to, to re-register the next year. And, uh, I started training with them and I kind of wanted to run Boston. I didn't realize he couldn't just register. Yeah. (laughs) Work that way. Um, I applied for a couple of charities. I didn't get in and I, really wanted to run a marathon so i started with the boston half in october so like four months running i ran my first half in january of 2014 after not not getting accepted any charities getting the rejection letters i decided i was going to go and just kind of poke around on the pittsburgh web dicks sporting good pittsburgh marathon website and see how that works out and like there's a bunch of charities and i just basically put my basic information in there and like hit submit and all of a sudden congratulations you're running the dick sporting good marathon <laughs> pittsburgh <laughs> marathon like whoa like the boston marathon application took 45 minutes to an hour some of them and this yeah. one took like three minutes it was like name address phone number email shirt size emergency contact submit like whoa, yeah. whoa. so yeah, so uh, you know, a year into running, May of 2014, I uh, I ran my first marathon, and all I wanted to do was marathons. I went back to Corning, New York, and did the Wine Glass in October, and then came back out here to Arizona, did the Rock and Roll Marathon in, in January. That was my third marathon in 2015, and then I started like I wanted to do like the 50 states. I was obsessed with doing marathons, like you know, like people with addiction, more and more and more you can never yeah. get. So, yeah, so marathon, marathon. And I found out about this ultra marathon thing, and things kind of escalated from there. Like, first it was like 
why would anybody want to do anything more than 26.2 miles? And like this addict, this alcoholic more, you know, I believe in pushing yourself and I believe in, in, a, in a progression and I felt like I could do it. And I did. So I ran my first ultra marathon in May of 2015 called Manchester to Monadnock. So Manchester, uh, New Hampshire, you started like near the baseball, the, the minor league stadium, kind of in the downtown area. And did a little bit of rail trails up and over Mount Uncanunyuk and then roads, hilly roads of and buggy mosquito, black fly roads of New Hampshire, humid roads uh, in the middle of nowhere. And then you finish by going up and over Mount Monadnock. Um, that was a life-changing experience. I yeah. never want to do anything like that again. And then, you know, as the smoke cleared and the soreness went away, like... I started poking around a little bit more on the ultra signup website and then I was kind of obsessed with, uh, with ultra marathons. So, so let's dive in first in, in, into going further back in time, talking about the addiction and, and how, you know, walk me through how bad it got, why it got there and how long it lasted okay. and um, what was kind of the, t- the turning point for you. Yeah, it got there immediately, <laughs> you know, really like the first time I drank. So, I was kind of a late bloomer as far as uh, my, my drinking career. I put it off a long time. I saw what alcohol did to people, like my my grandfathers, my uncles, my dad, uh, neighbors. Like my parents would play cards with, with some of the neighbors, and they would get loud, belligerent, just, and quite frankly, like not present. Um, my dad, you know, would just kind of push me away when he was drinking or hungover or, or, or just tired. And I hated it. Like I knew exactly what was up and I'm like, I am never drinking. That's what it does to people. That's, that's what I saw. Right. Yeah. And I didn't, I very really did. I see somebody sipping a glass of wine or having one beer or one mixed drink. It was always in excess. And, um, yeah. I mean, even like, you know, being in high school, starting to see, people getting trashed at parties or whatever. And, and I, I didn't go to that many parties, but what I saw was like, oh my God, I want no part of this. And then until curiosity got the best of me, I wanted to know what it felt like. And we had talked about it uh, amongst my core group of friends. And one Saturday morning, one, sa- one Saturday, we pulled together a bunch of money and got somebody to buy a couple of cases of like Mildberry Seagram's wine coolers for us. <laughs> and, uh, hmm. You know, I, the first one was a little bit rough. I had the willies trying to, you know, burp and trying to get it down. But after that, they went down pretty smooth. And, you know, it was honestly like double fisted the whole time. And I remember calling everybody else like lightweights because they're like, you know, they're on one or two and I'm on six or seven. I'm feeling good. Um, Well, I was the one that woke up like in a sleeping bag on the porch, on my friend's porch in the rain with cuts all over my body from like sliding down a railing and falling on rocks. And, have a smashing headache. I was the one that I don't think I told my parents where I was going. And uh, yeah, I was the one that was severely hung over and not really sure what happened, asking questions. Only everybody else had gone home about, about their, their way and gone to bed without, uh, without any, any harm done. Uh, but yeah, I was in pretty rough shape and cleaned myself up, went home. I think I slept half the day till my mother that I was sick. I just wasn't feeling good and stayed over at my friend's house. And um, 
like I'm never doing that again. Like that was horrible. And once like the cobwebs cleared and the headache died down a little bit, I started thinking about it wasn't that bad. It kind of felt like a rock star, right? And then you know, a week or two later, we did the same thing, pulled money together, and got something to buy for us, and same results. I was I was hammered. I was on six or seven or eight before, while people were still on one or two and you know there was a couple left and like if nobody else is going to drink those i'm drinking them and, you know someone had a half a wine cooler left like don't waste it i'll drink it i couldn't get enough of it i just loved the way it made me feel um i felt like i could do anything say anything i kind of felt alive i felt like myself that was I was kind of a shy kid i was kind of an introvert i was smaller when i was younger i would get bullied but yeah so you know, we started going to parties and same thing, I felt like I could say anything. So I started getting in trouble with people like fights and, um, you know, saying, saying the wrong thing to the wrong person or to a girl and, you know, nothing super rude or anything like that, but just, you know, I wasn't yeah. careful what I was saying. Um, sure. I had a couple DUIs, possession of alcohol, hit and run accidents, head on accidents. I could have killed somebody, could have killed myself, you know, lawyers, lawyers got me off uh you know i i did like i was on probation and did like some sort of intensive outpatient program like alcohol education i didn't even really realize what it was till later on down the road i wasn't paying attention i just whatever just showed up and i couldn't wait to get out of there and go hang out with my friends and drink a few beers and like when i finished the program i remember like celebrating like they graduated you know um you know, I, I didn't take it seriously. I didn't really didn't think I had a problem. Deep down inside, I thought I had a problem, but I thought I could I thought I could handle it. So yeah. Occasionally I'd cut down and you know, when when uh like after after the accidents I'd stop for a couple of days and I started feeling sorry for myself. So I'd tell my sorrows and booze and try to forget and try to ease the pain. And um I tried different things like I I'd go to the gym, I sent it for the gym, I was doing really well, feeling really good, putting muscle on. And then I started rewarding myself, my workouts, like with uh, with I go to sick, get a six pack or something on the on the way after go to oh, no. or I'd smoke a little bit of weed first. Um, so my workouts started suffering, right? They weren't as good yeah. as they were before. Um, that didn't work. So I continued going to the gym, but it, w- it wasn't that that effective. At least it was some sort of stress relief, and it was an hour or two of time that I wasn't actually drinking. Um, but when I turned twenty one, I really started. Uh, drinking a lot more because I could obviously buy it and drinking alone and isolating. And, uh, you know, people told me that's not normal and you know, I'd show up some pretty much everywhere, two sheets to the wind. Um, I blew off a lot of family events. I'd rather be with my friends. Just, I wouldn't hang out with people unless we were drinking or smoking weed. Like if someone said, you want to go to like Panera or something? I'm like, no, nah, there's nothing there for me. They don't serve beer. Um, that, I can say that out loud, but no, you know, why don't we go to this bar or that bar or this restaurant or that restaurant? So my circle of friends started changing. I started seeking out more people that did what I was, what I did. And that was, that was probably pretty hard. And um, speed up to 2002, I decided to go to culinary school. That was my solution to, well, I really needed, I really needed a career. College didn't really work for me. I tried it three or four times. And I figured culinary arts school would keep me sober. <laughs> I would be too sure. busy to drink. And um, what happened was I was going Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And sometimes I'd go to like 1 o'clock in the morning, 1.30 in the morning. I was working full-time, working overtime, and going to school pretty much full-time. 
and studying, um, I didn't have too much time. So I started really drinking a little bit more hard liquor to accelerate my buzz. And mm. that accelerated my alcoholism. And, um, you know, I pass out, like I, I drink for like 45 minutes an hour, one thirty to two thirty in the morning, whatever it was pass out and have to be up by five to go to work. And like, I'd still be all messed up. And I remember like brushing my teeth 15 times and mouthwash and showering twice and trying to wake up um, and drinking a lot of coffee and then go to work. And I was just a mess. And I just, I just, I don't know, just, I did that for pretty much two years. Um, I did well in school, but I probably could have done better. I graduated and then I decided it was an opportunity to go to see the Patriots play the Cardinals out here in Arizona. So mm. took a trip out here, spent an extra week, and I decided I wanted to move to Arizona. I had met a girl um, online who's now my wife. <laughs> and nice. that kind of helped the situation that, you know, make the decision. But um, I kind of thought the geographical change and then the combination of that meeting her, who she doesn't really drink that much could get me sober. And I had really no idea that, um, it had to come from within. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I, 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 for three days before I moved out, I didn't drink or anything like that. Like I moved out and flew out first and she picked me up. And as soon as we went to the restaurant, I had a couple glasses of wine. She asked if I wanted to get wine. I said, okay, you know, I can control myself. And, um, the next night, I brought a six pack over to where she was staying and oh you brought beer like yeah and it's whatever beer it was and yeah i'm gonna have a couple of beers with dinner i made dinner because i'm a chef by trade and everything was good but the third night i brought beer over again she's like drinking again like well you know i'm i'm on uh you know kind of on this vacation thing and she started questioning it I'm like huh and then the fourth night like what are you drinking like oh i had a bad day the fifth night like why are you drinking all oh, the basketball games on with six day? Oh, yeah. we usually, we watch football all day. We drink all day. So I brought a 12 pack, you know, like every day you're drinking, like, no, nah, I'm just going through this vacation phase, this transition. And, you know, don't worry. And little did she know that she had no idea who she was uh, getting herself involved in. She didn't know my problems. And um, I actually did not have my license at that time. I didn't feel to tell her that um, I withheld that information I had my third, like third driving while intoxicated and hit and run accident. Um, I lost my license for like 60 days. And anyways, that's, wow. why, that's why I flew out. So I had to tell her that like, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of bummed out about this. I just started making up excuses, right? The reason why yeah. I drank every day is because I was an alcoholic and I had a problem. So, you know, when the heat was on, I kind of cool it down a little bit. Only have one or two or not drink for a couple of days, but it was only a matter of time before when I got, when I did have the time, I would drink like the way I wanted to. And so, um, yeah, just, we had started having more and more problems. We got married, had more and more problems, you know, and most of it was around alcohol finances. Um, and yeah. you know, just most of it was me. The problem was, was me. And, um, I accepted a short-term assignment to be a chef at the 2008 Beijing Olympic Game Project. Oh, wow. And we were going to counseling first, and I was going to AA. And I really enjoyed going to the meetings that I was going to, but I'll tell you that I was I had one foot in the door, one foot out of the door. I really, like I was just kind of pencil-whipping it. I was saying all the right things, doing all the right things, 
Um, but I wasn't really hundred percent invested in it or invested in myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I go to China as soon as I got on the airplane, as soon as I got to the airport, I started drinking and I was, you know, like three months sober, two and a half months sober, whatever. Oh no. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like I let my guard down and it just happened before I realized. And then I drank a couple of beers, drinks, whatever on the way to, to San Francisco airport. And then I transferred to Beijing airlines, China or whatever it was and drank all the way there or passed out. I don't know. You know, it was, 12 hours later, I woke up in, in China and um, then I was picked up there and brought to the hotel room where I drank for like three days. I was just kind of MIA. They're knocking on my door wondering where I was. And I told them I had like jet lag. And <laughs> meanwhile, there's, there's like 30 or 40 like liter bottles of green beer, like all over the counter. Like, those aren't mine. Those are my roommates who I haven't met yet. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, my wife had tried to get in touch with me too. And, um, yeah, no, I, it, after a couple of days, she knew I was drinking and she said, you know, when you come back, you have to be sober. It's over. I'm seeing a counselor and I'm prepared to move out. And um, wow. Yeah, so um, we can get to my rock bottom here. So, uh, you know, I learned a lot in China. I met some pretty cool people. I could have been a better employee if I wasn't drinking. I got yeah. that, but um, came back. My, and I was supposed to be sober and I was. We. Um, we were doing well for about 30 days or so. Then my company invited us to Orlando, Florida for a dinner, like thanking us for spending four months or more for some people for the Beijing Olympic project overseas, 7,000 miles away. And I flew out there. And as soon as I got on the airplane, same thing, I started drinking. And I was going hmm. to AA. I was saying all the right things, doing all the right things, but I wasn't, I wasn't ready to be done, apparently. And my wife went to Orlando too, ironically for business. And she kept trying to connect with me. I'm like, I kept giving her like excuses, like they're doing some sort of like, I don't know, like cocktail thing, but I'm like drinking Sprite, you know, and I just had to repeat myself. And, and she, uh, she knew she, she just said like, don't call me anymore. Don't text me. You know, I will talk when we get home. And I was pissed. So like, that was, I, it was all her fault. So I, then all of a sudden, I'm like triple fisted the whole t- time, making an ass of myself, really, really mad at her, texting her, calling her. She won't answer. She shut mm. the phone off. I was really frustrated. And I kind of thought, like, my life's almost over. And I and I started losing hope, and I didn't care. And So I made an ass of myself there. don't know how I got home, but I did. And since I was supposed to be sober, there was no alcohol in the house, I went and stocked up. And then I just fell in and out of consciousness. I fell down a bunch of times. Remember that? I remember telling my dog, like, daddy's sick. Like, I'm so sorry. I can't take care of you properly. You know, thank you for being by my side, that type of stuff. And crocodile tears, right? And then, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like the third day, I was low on alcohol and I was really, really shaky. I wasn't eating much. And uh, I knew I had to go to the store, but I was... Like, how am I going to get there? I'm super, I'm sweaty. I got the cold sweats, super shaky. I'm weak. I keep falling down. I can't drive. I don't think I can carry a 30 pack. Like, I don't have to get a 12 pack. I have to go back to the store again. Like, what am I going to do? So I'm like, I can't even think straight. So I went in the shower. I remember praying to God, like, just letting the water hit me to try to wake up. Please, God, like, send me an angel. Send me some angels or something. Send me, I don't want to be like this. Like, 
I don't, it's not that I was suicidal, but I certainly didn't want to live. And I didn't want to live the way I was, the way things were going the past 34 years. And um, so I remember getting out of the shower, my clothes were laid out on the bed. I opened the door and I walk out to my bed to get my clothes. And there's a young couple and a realtor there. And they're like staring at me. (laughs) Oh shit. Like that was the, that was enough for me. That was the angels that God sent me. Like I was so embarrassed and humiliated. I backed up and, went in the bathroom and our house was for sale. Um, needless to say, they didn't buy the house. Yeah. But I backed up and just kind of put my hand over my mouth, like, oh my God. Like, so I got changed, went in the kitchen and grabbed like the last five or six beers and just poured them down the drain and poured whatever hard liquor I had down the drain. And it was, wow. I remember just sitting there patting the dog on, on the nose, like telling Lucy, like, everything's going to be okay. Daddy's going to get better. So what was it about this couple and the realtor that kind of woke you up? Well, like it was like I just said, send me anybody. And I and I was almost like, I don't want I, I wanted to call somebody. Like I was gonna call like one of our friends, like, help me. I don't like you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I need to go to the hospital. I don't want to die, you know. I almost wanted like just just send me anybody. Send me anybody. And like they just all of a sudden, you know, like twenty seconds later, they magically appeared in my bedroom. Oh, wow. That was like the angels. That that was my prayer. That was the angels. That was my aha moment. You know, my burning yeah. bush. Yeah. It's it's really. And then from that point, you've been sober ever since. Or correct. Yeah. So I quickly googled like you know magic pill to to remain sober, a magic pill to drink like a normal person, and then you know I dove a little bit deeper down the page and and started inquiring about treatment centers. So I ended up entering into treatment. Yeah. So then it sounds like you traded one addiction for another. Obviously the, the, the next addiction was much better, a lot healthier for you Yeah, running and, and ultras. What was kind of your, from, from that rock bottom moment to the time you first started running, how much time had passed? Uh, so, so it was, okay. So November 17th, 2008 was the last time I drank or the first day I didn't drink. I just, that's my anniversary date. And then I started, running like early may like may 10th 2000 2013 oh wow so yeah. some time had passed yeah yeah so i was going to meetings and it wasn't enough like i was seeing a counselor and he's like the after like four or five visits the counselor's like you're an adrenaline junkie you need to find something to get that energy out hmm. um yeah so i started Long story short, I came out to Arizona for the first time. We visited our friend's house. My son, Sebastian, was 10 months, nine months old, 10 months old. And he wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and we can't get back to sleep. So I told my wife, like, where are you going? Like, I'm grabbing the diaper bag, grabbing an iced coffee in a bar and some more milk. And I'm going for a walk. It's like 3.30 in the morning in Arizona, like January, February, whatever it was. <laughs> and so, uh. Yeah, so I went around the cul-de-sac a couple times, and the sun was wide awake. Kept going, wound up going to South Mountain, and and like saw the sunrise and saw coyotes. And he's in the stroller. He's ten months old, but eleven months old. He's in the stroller, and and like I realized, like, all right, if I go just a little bit further, it's got to be further than I've ever walked before in my life. And it was. I ended up like walking eleven miles. And yeah. when I got to the top of like one of the foothills, I carried that stroller up there and saw the sunrise and saw those coyotes and just, I just felt like almost like proud of myself, but I, like something inside me changed. 
yeah like something sparked and like like this is going to be the new me so i started walking, walking <laughs> distance. just like every alcoholic or or you know user of substances has that rock bottom aha moment i think every runner also has that aha moment where they kind of wake up and realize that this is a passion of theirs yeah it sounds like that was yours yeah so it you know it was a way of getting my energy out it was a way of like mind dumping you know when i go for a hike or run or walk whatever i come back like my problems i have problems like everybody else i go out and go to the mountains whatever go to the trails or go for a run go to the gym i come back and the problems seem a little bit smaller um mm. you know it really helps me start the day off right and on the right yeah. foot it makes my whole day just kind of flow yeah well you you got into running and started small and worked your way up to marathons and then ultra marathons what piqued my interest was when I saw that you had done the Mesa marathon four times in a row. Tell me how that works, but not four years in a row. I mean like back to back day after day, or how does that work? Tell me, walk me through that process. I skipped a year. I skipped 2022. Um, Okay. So I did. So in 2017, I had not qualified for Boston yet. And I was still living out there. I decided to do a fundraiser to help people with addictions to raise money. It was like a scholarship fund for foundation called Runwell. And um, I had done a double, double Boston marathon and started the finish line at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning, ran to the start line and ran to the finish line. And that was more than, more than I could handle at the time. That was the first day I ever ran two marathons, 54 mile, whatever it is, 56 miles. And, yeah. and, um, it might have been longer with going to Dunkin' Donuts and bathroom breaks. But uh, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, I know I had a really hard time on the way back. It was really hard. And like I would never want to do anything more than that. And the idea just kind of progression, the idea had popped in my head like a couple of different times. And I had, had a snow day at, at school and I decided I had six hours to kill. I would go out and run on the Boston course. And so I did. And I got on the course. I started thinking about doing this quad, you know, four quad marathon quad is four marathons four consecutive marathons and mm-hmm. then a four of like four of spades or whatever like a playing card blew over my foot like as i was thinking of like i have to do it now that's a sign i believe in signs so yeah i took a picture of it and posted on facebook mm-hmm. and and uh you know said this is what i'm gonna do so in 2017 i did it two weeks before the boston marathon it was in a snowstorm too it was it was amazing <laughs> Wow. So I to suffer fast. And then 2018, I had qualified for Boston, moved out here and qualified and went back to Boston. And we joked like the weather looked like it was starting to get bad. The weather changed in Massachusetts pretty quickly. But like we joked that it couldn't be any worse in 2017. And, and uh, it was worse in 2018. We had like freezing yeah. rain and freezing driving rain and mixed, mixed <laughs> precipitation. And so another suffer fest. Um, I did so. I did the quad in 17, 18, 19, 20. I did it virtually out here, 21, and then 23. So I've done it six times for Boston, and I've done it five times for Mesa, including. Wow. Yeah. So I start for Mesa. I start. I start at like five, five or six in the morning, and then go to the start from the finish line to the start line to the finish line, to the start line. And then, so the fourth, the fourth marathon is always the official marathon, whether it's 
Boston with everybody. Yeah. With everybody. Um, and I did the same thing for the rock and roll marathon last year. So, Holy smokes. So you, so how, okay. How many days before, is it just the day it's the day before the actual marathon day before? Yeah. Yeah. So like, okay. So for like Boston, I start at noon on Sunday cause the marathon's on Monday and then at the finish line, take a few pictures and people run different. They might run three miles, five miles, 12, 26 miles with me ride a bike, rollerblades, whatever, car support. But people usually with me all the time. So we start at the finish line with usually a crowd of people and make our way to, to Hopkinton. And then usually like the – so Boston and Mesa are downhill courses. Well, if you're going backwards, it's uphill. So those the yeah. and the third take a little bit longer. So, you know, about five hours up, four and a half hours back on the second marathon, I try to pace myself, right, because it's uh, – it's a marathon, not a sprint, ultra marathon, not a sprint. Um, yeah. You know, and like say 15 hours, including breaks for the first couple marathons. And then I always like to get a little bit of a rest and get off my feet, regroup, dry off, whatever the case is, eat properly and then gear up and leave something in the tank for the actual official marathon. So, okay. So you said 15 hours for the first three, so about five hours per Correct. Or yeah. Okay. Give or wow. take. Give or take. That's incredible. So so you're you're running at a at a fairly decent pace. I mean, five hours. Some people, you know, take full effort to get there in five hours. Um, and so you're. How much time passes between when you're doing the quad the the first leg of it? What do you do in between? Do you just turn right around and go straight back, or are you kind of yeah uh, eating, taking a break? It depends. Yeah, I mean, like there's certain places like on the Boston course that we always stop at, like. There was a Brazilian uh, bakery that we hit like a couple different times. The Dunkin' Donuts, you know, maybe get a little bit of coffee or like a croissant sandwich, that type of thing. Bathroom breaks. Um, and the Boston course too, the fire department in Newton, um, they're nice enough. They've been nice enough for, what, six years to let me use this like little room where I can stash a bunch of my gear, like extra shoes and Tailwind, yeah. you know, also the supplies, food, whatever else I need, extra clothing. Wow. Um, yeah, and I have a cousin that lives on the course. And then, yeah, Mesa Marathon, I had car support um, overnight and other friends that ran with me. Um, yeah, I always like to leave I, I, like five, five and a half hours, maybe a little bit of buffer. And I, I want to enjoy the journey, too. So we'll stop and take pictures. And there's always shenanigans. Like, if you're not having sure. fun, what's the point? Uh, yeah, you know, people are nice enough to come out on the course. Some people will just come out and check on me in the middle, of, like the middle of the night. Like there's a car on the side of the road with the wipers on. Like that's got to be somebody we know. It's twelve thirty in the morning though, and go over there. It's somebody I know. Like I brought you some Swedish fish. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was worried about you. Just checking to see how you're doing, and you know, I'm proud of you. That type of thing. So these things awesome. really brings the community together. Really solidifies relationships, friendships, um, and builds memories. And so when you run the actual marathon, are you sticking with a pace group? Are you just kind of walking it? Are you doing your own thing? Like, what does that look like? I'm going, I'm going all out, whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, my, my worst time was like five hours and that was just kind of on purpose. I was running with two other people. One of my friends, it was his 160th and final marathon. Um, and he's kind of decided he was going to transition to, to trails only. Um, and then my fastest time was the rock and roll marathon. The fourth marathon, I ran three, three thirty eight on the fourth. Wow. 
<laughs> the Mesa one, I just ran 347. So I, I'm pretty happy hmm. with with those times. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I've done it a bunch of times that um, I, I like to say I've learned a little bit about myself. I learned a bit about these things a little bit more each time I do it. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's never easy. How do you, how do you avoid injury? I, I know this is probably a whole nother conversation because ultra marathoners are trained in a different way. Um, but like maybe if you could give one bit of advice to someone who finds this kind of crazy and might want to try it, like how do you avoid injury running that many marathons back to back to back? So like when you're running, when you're run, doing ultra marathons, you're running like you like the ultra shuffle. You're just kind of puttering along. You're not going all out. Right. So there's less impact. You have to go slower to go longer. Um, to endure. Uh, sure. I learn how to pace myself and I don't run every day. I cross train, I go to the gym, um, and I have recovery built into every day. So I work on a lot, mostly my legs, um, kind of prevent preventive maintenance stuff. And usually before a big event, I'll go to this place called Arizona biomechanics, um, unselfish plug, but they do a great job. And I will get kind of like a PM done, you know, before an event and then get some work, get stretched out and get my quads rolled out, stretched out or whatever, whatever's ailing me afterwards too. have like a little recovery. And then pretty much every day I stretch and I sit in the jacuzzi. I might even stretch in the jacuzzi. I'll use the foam rollers. I'll use the lacrosse ball. And I do a lot of like little exercises like glute bridges and uh, clamshells to work on my, um, my glutes, uh, yeah. um, my glute meat specifically uh, and uh, rotational stuff because you use your hips to run too. And that keeps me pretty loose. And for the most part, I've had no major injuries. Um, wow. I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. Do you, do you mind if I ask your age? Uh, no, I don't mind. Uh, I'm 53. I'll be 54 in October. Incredible. Cause you know, there's going to be people listening that say, Oh, well, he's a young, young buck. He can do this, you know? So, um, yeah, they that's, say, what, that's pretty incredible. What if you started running when you were younger? Well, maybe I wouldn't be running right now. Right. If I would have run myself into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is an incredible story. I, I got to be honest, a lot more incredible than I anticipated. I, I thought that you had maybe done this once or twice, so you, you've kind of made a habit of this. Are there lots of people out there who do these quads, or did you kind of create the concept? Or no, it's what's the story? There? You know, it's an ultra thing. It's it's definitely out there. Other people have done it before me. Other people, you know, are are, are doing it. It's not super common. Um, I had a friend, Eric Larson, who uh, who ran Boston for the first time last year, and he said like. Just kind of spontaneously, like, you know, I'd like to run a little bit with you and, and see how far I can go. And then it turned into um, him doing the three marathons with me and ended up doing the quad himself last year. So I was super proud. Oh, wow. You know, that's a good way to, I knew him, but, you know, not, we're not super close. I run with him at track. I run with him different places. But that's a good way to, to get to know somebody <laughs> running with him for over 15 hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there was a guy, David Clark, uh, who passed away. He was a mentor to me in recovery and running, spiritually and, and in running. He passed away a few years ago. Um, he had done the Boston Marathon Quad once or twice, and that's how I kind of found out about it. Wow. That's incredible. 
Well, Henry, if, if, if anyone wants to find you online, what's the best way to do that so they can follow you? Uh, I'm on Facebook. And I think like my, my backslash name is Chef Henry Ward. Uh, I, have a, I have a couple pages on there, Running Without the Devil. Also on Instagram, Running Without the Devil. Um, my email is henryward10 at gmail.com or henry at runningwithoutthedevil.com. And if someone wants to send me a private message, I'd be happy to, to send them my phone number. We can either chat or text. If somebody's suffering uh, from addiction, don't suffer in silence. Reach out to somebody. Sometimes it's almost better to reach out to a stranger. Um, again, I didn't want to even tell my my sisters knew I had a problem. A lot of people knew I had a problem, but I had a lot of, there was a lot of shame and guilt. I really didn't want to talk about it. Um, yeah, tell somebody and, um, you know, get help today, today, tomorrow might never come. Tomorrow might be too late. So if anybody wants to reach out to me, feel free to, I can tell you what works for me. Wow. Yeah, what doesn't Incredible work. story. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Harrison. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Follow us on Instagram at Crummy Marathoners. We'd love to hear your feedback and take any questions you might have. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes come out. And please leave us a five-star review so more people can join this running journey with us. Our theme song is Change the World by Breck. You can find his music on Spotify, searching B-R-E-K-K.